What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar. A bit of housekeeping. Uh, the Dirty Merger Podcast. Unfortunately, there won't be any Dirty Merger, po- Dirty Merger Podcast for the next few weeks. Uh, Tom and Eddie messaged me. Unfortunately, just a, a bit too busy right now. So hopefully when their schedule begins to clear up and they've got some time to jump on the potty, the boys will be back. But right now, they just said they're a bit too busy uh, to do the potty. So just letting you know, next few weeks, uh, it won't be on. But hopefully the boys, as I said, when their schedule clears up, they'll be able to jump back on. But as always, brought to you by Bloke Shirts. Bloke.shop. Head to Bloke.shop. Bloke Nation shirts are now available. We have a ton of different nations. Samoa, Tongan, Turkey, Korea, Australia, Kiwi, Lebanon, Greece, Italy. You name it, we've got it. Head to Bloke.shop. Grab a Bloke Nation shirt. Uh, honestly, one of my favorite drops. The reception so far has been amazing. You don't want to miss out on this, guys. They're so, so cool shirts. It's, it's very hard to find shirts that let you rep your nation, and these are the shirts to do just that. That is a www.bloke.shop, and we ship worldwide, guys. We ship worldwide. So it doesn't matter where you are right now listening to this, you'll be able to grab uh, a Bloke Nation T-shirt. So that's www.bloke.shop. And as always, brought to you by Bloke Beer. We are in every single Celebrations, Bottolo, IGA Plus Liquor, and Porter's Liquor in New South Wales and ACT, plus hundreds of other stores across Queensland. We're in also in New South Wales. We're in Victoria. We're in ACT. So head to our website. We've got a store locator. All you do, you put in your address, boom, or you put in your postcode. It'll show you the nearest stockist. Um, so that is every single store. The, the original Bloke Beer is in every single store. Celebrations, Bottolo. Uh, IGA Plus Liquor and Porter's Liquor in New South Wales and ACT. We're also in every single Celebration Superstore in Queensland, uh, plus hundreds of others. Uh, so make sure to grab a case of an easy drinking smooth lager. Trust me, guys, if you haven't tried it, get down, grab a six pack. I'm telling you, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, the feedback we get from the taste is constantly, constantly really, really positive. Um, so it's a beautiful, easy beer. And I'll, I'll, as we head into the summer of sport, it is the perfect beer to sit back, have two or three while you're enjoying the sport. Long day, long day of long, uh, sorry, day at work. Get home or a long week at work. Get home on the weekend. You put the footy on with the World Cup. We've got the cricket coming up. We've got MMA. It's so much sport. Bloke beer is the beer for you. But as usual, let's get straight into it, baby. Just a bloke in a bar. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode. And when I say I say special episode every week, but I think this may be the most special of the lot because if you look behind me, uh, I'm actually in the desert, in the Dubai desert. So if you look at that, absolutely beautiful. Now, I thought we'd start here because uh, I may need to go inside before I melt. It is that hot. Uh, but I wanted to show the punter and the dribbler uh, what it was like out in Dubai. So, cheers, guys. Got the beer here as well. How good. Yeah, as usual, guys, Bloke in a Bar brought to you by uh, our Bloke DMP shirts. They have been, sh- uh, they're going to be shipped on the 18th of October. So, thank you, everyone that grabbed one of those. And our Bloke Nation shirts, they are still on sale. We have up to 30 different nations for Bloke Nation. So, make sure to head to bloke.shop, grab your Bloke Nation shirt, rep your country. I've got my Aussie Bloke shirt right now. Uh, there's there's 30 different countries, Samoa, Tonga, China, Korea. Uh, I mean, there's heaps Turkish. Uh, there's, there's all different countries, guys. So that's at bloke.shop. Uh, also, quick shout out to Baroa Village Tavern. They're offering Bloke at a Bar Lager for $20.99 uh, a six-pack and Midi at $19.99 a six-pack. And come fill your car with the weekend's essentials and grab a Bloke in a Bar Thirst Quencher at the bar for 7 bucks. 
but great guru. How you been, bros? I'm good, mate. Me and Maddie stuck here in the fucking trenches whilst you're <laughs> living it up in the desert. Unbelievable. Mate, it is seriously beautiful, but it's also seriously hot. <laughs> so if we have to move inside, we have to move inside. Uh, but until then, uh, I wanted to give you guys a view. But how's it? What's a What's it been like over there, the great Gurino, with uh, the, the news dropping that Cam Munster has signed, re-signed with the Melbourne Storm? Yeah, some huge news over the last few days. Obviously, headlined by Cam Munster. I uh, I probably hoped for the sake of rugby league you'd end up at the Dolphins, but uh, Melbourne Storm, geez, they've done well here. Uh, and, you know, we spoke about, obviously, the system the Panthers are building, mate, and when you keep Munster, Harry Grant, Pappy, Husey together for the next few years, they're going to be a scary prospect once again. Just as we think they're starting to dip, they re-sign the game's biggest superstar. i gotta, I got to ask both of you. Did this surprise you? Because this this blew me off my chair. I couldn't believe it when the news hit. I was 99.9% sure he was going to go to the Dolphins. Were you guys shocked? Mate, I was absolutely shocked. And it, it proves that you just, the storm, every time you count them out, they find a way. I, I, every time I say, okay, I think they're done, or they might need a year to rebuild, or they're going to lose Ken Munster, finally the salary cap has put enough pressure on them that they have to lose one of their big three. And then they don't lose one of their big three. They do it every single year, year after year. Like when you look, when you really look at what they went through last season, and then you look at their squad and the fact they've got a lot leaving. Like, yeah, it wasn't the best year, but also what we're talking fifth in a bad year. Yeah. Pretty incredible stuff. And I mean, like, uh, I, I won't talk for you, Kemi, but mate, every whisper and rumor I've heard over the last few weeks, none of them have included Cam Munster staying at the Melbourne Storm. It's been, nah. it's been so many other clubs and so many other outcomes. And even listening to, you know, when, when Braith and Astor talked, like, I sort of felt like he, the, the way that he was talking about it, I thought, I'd, he's gone. He will not be staying there. No way. So to see Melbourne pull it off, unbelievable stuff. Uh, just quickly, boys, I'm going to have to go inside, not because I'm hot, because this uh, laptop is frying up. <laughs> so give me two seconds. <laughs> all good. Give me two seconds. All good, all good. <laughs> Jesus. But at least I got to see the view, baby. Whew, look at that. Oh, my God. So good. Fuck, look at that pool. Yeah. So I'm talking about, boys. I tell you what. I tell you what. So, Denon, you're in Dubai. My girlfriend was in Dubai last week. So the two people that I probably talk to the most <laughs> have both been in Dubai for the last two weeks. And it's fucking La Nina here. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, that is heartbreaking. That <laughs> is heartbreaking. Yeah, I agree, boys. I thought Munster was absolutely gone for all money. And... Again, it just shows that the Melbourne Storm's ability to retain who they want to retain is is almost unmatched. Like I know the Roosters, to a degree, can really retain who they want to retain, but with the Storm the last 20 years, have they ever really lost a player they needed to keep or they could keep? I know Greg Inglis was gone because of obviously salary cap restraints, but Israel Folau maybe. Outside of that, they, they don't lose players. It's absolutely incredible. And they don't pay overs to keep those guys either. Like it looks like for, for the money that it sounded like the Dolphins are willing to pay Munster. Jeez, it sounds like the Melbourne Storm have got themselves a cracking deal there. Oh, massively! And it's what's really interesting is that the final, um, the final amount that got reported is one point four. So we were pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I think people we said one point five a year ago. That's crazy. Yeah, we said we said we reckon he'll go as high as one point five, and that was when a million dollars was it. But that was just the demand that they needed. Well, let's talk about the Dolphins real quickly. Oh, man, what a loss for the Dolphins. What an absolutely massive loss. What do you reckon, Guru? 
yeah, I reckon it's going to really hurt them. And then we'll talk about it in a minute. But you obviously had the Ben Hunt news as well. Just another dagger, another at least a Queenslander that maybe that they could have had a crack out there um, for both of them to come off the market. Uh, mate, wh- where do they go to from here? I It would be devastating for them. And, you know, it has been a bit rocky the entire time, but uh, I don't think there's a world where they saw themselves this close to the start of next season with out of superstar and with so many superstars not available for them as well, that they're in a tough spot now. Oh, absolutely. And and look, don't get me wrong. It's, you know, I'm sure that they were promised by certain players and those players may have gone back on their word or whatever. I'm not, I'm sure, but I, I can, I can guess that may have happened, but I will say, regardless of what they say, you know, we'll wait for the right guy or whatever. And, and this is to take nothing away from how hard it would be. It would be super hard. I don't think the NRL does enough for starting clubs, not, not even close to enough. But at the end of the day, like this is this is really that they haven't. If you're going to say was it a pass or fail mark for recruitment, they've probably haven't hit the mark that they wanted to hit going into 2023. No, for sure. And like I, I feel like we keep on hearing they're you know waiting for the right guy. Mate, for me, I feel like right now they don't need the right guy. They need a guy. They just need yeah. someone to be the face of this place. I mean, you look at when the Gold Coast Titans started. Like, I still remember when I first saw that Preston Campbell was going to be the face of the Titans, and it was just so fitting. I thought they absolutely nailed bringing Presto to the club. Backed it up with Scotty Prince, Luke Bailey, these sort of guys. I'm looking at the Dolphins. If you said to me who's the face of it right now, mate, I really don't know who I'd go with. Jesse Bromwich, maybe? I don't know. I mean, Hamiso, the Hammer? Because, like, I've been listening to some interviews. Um, <clears throat> footy never sleeps, Guru. I might be in the middle of a desert, beautiful place, but I've been, list- I've been staying up on the footy. Listen to a lot of uh, interviews, and every time they've kind of been like, oh, how devastating is this to lose months? So they've been very, you know, respectful and like, look, all good. Things happen. We need to move on. But they've always brought up, we did get Hamiso this week. Mm. So I think, you know, Hamiso's gone from a really good young signing for them to oh, he is the superstar signing, even though I know he's played Origin, but I don't think he's at superstar level yet in regards to what he's done in the game just yet. He may get there, but he's probably not going to be there. I think for the Dolphins, though, they need him to be a superstar next year. Now that they have signed um, Hamiso, like, geez, if, if I was Wayne Bennett, I think I would be ringing Billy Slater and saying, how much will it cost you to just come up here two or three times a week or send him down there, whatever it might be, because... He's such a he's such a raw, fantastic talent, but there are a lot of aspects to his game that he definitely needs to improve. And, you know, if you are going to be a superstar fullback in this game, you need to be able to ball play like a 5'8", essentially. And I, I don't think he's got that in his game right now, but just, you, you've just got to pair him up with someone that can, that can teach him and guide him. And, I mean, if I was ringing Billy Slater, I'd be saying, hey, it's in your best interest as Queensland Maroons coach that this guy turn into the superstar that we need him to be as well. So I definitely think that Wayne Bennett needs to make some sort of a move there, find someone to help him uh, because, I mean, he has got this just this incredible potential. If nothing else, the raw speed, if you can add other things around that, he, he could be a true superstar. It's interesting. I agree with you because – there's only one man in the NRL, in my opinion, that has a 100% strike rate with the position they play in, and it's Billy Slater. There has not been a single player under his tutelage that hasn't gone on to be one of the best players in the game. I would be – now, look, I don't know what salary cap they have on their football department, but if there was some way to pay him outside of that or as an advisor to something of a board or I don't know what they're called, Guru, I don't know what's going on with all that kind of business stuff. But if there's some way, 
Honestly, you'd almost say name your price, wouldn't you, to get Billy Slater there to help him? Mate, I was just about to say, as crazy as it sounds, you would almost pay the wage of another player to be able to get Billy just up there because you need Hamiso to be a superstar now. There's no two ways about it. He can't be a 7 out of 10. He needs to be a 9 and 10 out of 10 every week, in my opinion, for this team to really compete in this competition. So, mate, I, I think you're into sort of blank check territory just to get Billy around and to help him. Yeah, I agree. I really do agree. And what's crazy is like, and then we look at his origin record, first origin, first coaching ever, gets the job done. Kalen Ponga had the game of his series. I mean, sorry, the, the game of his life and the series of his life under Billy Slater. So if I'm the Dolphins, I am literally like, I know this sounds crazy. I'd honestly consider five to 700,000 a year. I know, I know that sounds absolutely mental and everyone's going to be like, are you off your head? But look at this guy's strike rate. Mate, it sounds absurd, but it sounds absurd in any other situation ever in the history of rugby league except for this one where, to me, it makes complete fucking sense. You've got to do something. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have Cam Munster there to help. I mean, so, you know, you know, come through the ranks as a fullback. What's really interesting, like, that the Dolphins are in, though, is that I think nearly every pundit in the game doesn't really know what position Hamiso is. Now, I think the fact that Munster's not there, it's forcing him into that fullback position. But again, it's just that extra added bit of pressure of, is he a centre? Like, you know, that's where he played Origin. So it's really interesting times. Now, let's just go quickly back to Munster. I, it's, it's so interesting because I could have sworn to you two to three years ago, he will finish his career in Queensland. I would have said it on the podcast. Everyone listening would have been like, so, first of all, I was absolutely wrong. Got that absolutely wrong. But second of all, I wonder, does it say anything about Bellamy and how long he's going to stay on? Yeah, quite possibly, mate. There's a few ways to read into it. Does it say something about Bellamy and how long he's going to stay on? Or, you know, is the fact that he's not going to the Dolphins, does it maybe indicate that a lot of these players are looking beyond that two years past Wayne Bennett? Oh, I think that's a factor a lot of players w w would be considering. But, yeah, Craig Bellamy, I mean, if you're going to sign there, you know, and extend for that long with the rest of that spine, it makes me wonder if uh, Bellamy's, you know, time is actually coming to an end or not. I, I think it's an interesting one. I, I can't see Bellamy retiring if he doesn't make a grand final. You know, I, I can't. Could you imagine him bouncing out the first week and retiring? No, I'll tell you the other thing with Bellamy, and, you know, for all that he's achieved and all the fantastic things he's done, the one thing that he hasn't done is win a back to back premiership. And, you know, I, I think there'd be part of him that would sit in there and go, and fuck, Ivan Cleary, he's been in this game for 11 years. He's done it now. Robinson's done it. Bennett's done it. Like, all the other guys you put into the same category of Craig Bellamy as far as greatest coaches ever, they've all done it. It's still the one thing that he's got to tick off, and I, I reckon that would be a serious itch for him as well. Especially now that it's been done twice, and, you know, it's hard to argue that Bellamy hasn't been the best coach of the last 20 years at the very least, and yet he doesn't have a back-to-back. And now that it's not Mission Impossible, it's happened twice in the last six years. It can be done. It could potentially happen for the third time in a row. And I think it had hurt him even more that, what, he's almost done it on five occasions, I would guess, off the top of my head. Like, he's been so close on so many occasions and not been able to do it. So, it, it's for, for me, it's the it's the last thing that Bellamy's got to, got to tick off. And I'd be surprised. I mean, he, he can't coach forever, obviously, and it's hard <coughs> to go back to back, but... I don't know. With this Munster resigning, it makes me think that he is going to hang around a little bit longer than what um, the narrative is that has been sold to us. Just, just can I just jump in for a sec? I just when you were speaking about Billy Slater winding, up, winding back a little bit, I found this quote from Ryan Pappenhausen. This is from mid 2018. So this is a year before he even debuted, and this is talking about Billy Slater. Slater was playing 
fullback at the time. And Pappenhausen was what, fourth, fifth in line. He's like, Billy, Billy is unreal. He's really helpful with all the little things that nobody ever thinks of. We go out before training and we play little novelty games and he gives you tips here and there. He just makes you, he just, he's a person that just makes you listen to him. So like that was yeah. a year before Paps was like, no one even knew who he was then. And he was behind, like in this article, Jerome Hughes is the second fullback. So it just shows, and, and look where, look where Ryan Pappenhausen is now. He's one of the premier fullbacks in the game. So yeah, it's a fantastic point about Billy Slater that I didn't think of at all before this, but yeah, I'd be throwing, throwing everything at him. Why not? You have to. I mean, and we haven't even mentioned Scott Drinkwater. Scott Drinkwater. There's another one. And before Drinky, I mean. you had their two halves that were gun fullbacks as well, Hughesy and Munster. Like, the list just goes on and on. It's crazy down there. Um, now, just quickly on the Munster situation. Uh, first of all, just a, a really interesting little. Um, I think you can Google it, but they did. There was it was. I don't know what it was. It's like there was fifty years ago or something along those lines. They couldn't break a certain time in the mile, and scientists did all this science, and they were like, "Oh, you know." Um, it's physically impossible, it can't be done. And then all of a sudden, a bloke broke the mile after not being able to do it for like 100 years or whatever. And then after that, it just kept getting broken over and over and over again. Yeah. And it's it's almost similar to the back-to-back thing. It's like it gets broken and then it just, boom, straight again. It's so much so that I don't even think Penrith are getting that much credit for the back-to-back. It's almost like, oh, yeah, just another premiership. Crazy stuff. Yeah, mate, it's unbelievable. It's similar to, you know, a couple of years ago when, you know, you had your Fergusons, your two of us checks that ran for 300 metres for the first time. We all sat there and went, that's unbelievable. Like, you see blokes run for – Peter Hickey ran for 300 metres at centre a few weeks ago. I didn't even notice. Well, bloody Manu ran for 400 metres. Crazy. In his, uh, New Zealand Tonga game. Yeah. Um, now, just quickly uh, with Munster. You know what I th- I've been thinking about this uh, quite a lot over the last few days since it happened? I think a big factor in him re-signing is I think there's a big, not chip on his shoulder because that's got such a negative uh, connotation to it, but I really think there's a big part of him that says, I need to win a premiership to show that I just wasn't a part of Cam Smith, Billy Slater, Cooper Cronk. I really think that he, that it's, I mean, he's competitive, so it stings him a little bit because he doesn't want to go down in history as a really good six, but without Smithy, Cronk, Cronk and Slater, he couldn't get the job done. I, I really think that might have been a big factor. What do you reckon, Guru? Oh, I agree, mate, 100%. And, and this was one of my factors why I thought he he might want to leave was because, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think there's anything the Munster can do that can elevate him above those three. I don't think there's anyone that any, anything that anyone could do at that club that could elevate him above those three. But obviously Munster, he's chosen to stay there, and we know how competitive he is. He's shown it over the last few years. And, mate, I definitely think it would be a huge thing for him. Like the Melbourne Storm, they, they won a premiership before those three arrived. They won so many when they were there. I mean, if they come out of that period without a premiership over the next few years, like oh, I think it will be pretty telling on the careers of Craig Bellamy and Cam Munster as well. So, mate, there's a lot of drive there, I think. I agree with you. Yeah, and I think you're right, Bellamy, included in that argument of, you know, he came to the club a year after Cam Smith debuted. And so I think there's a driving force there of the the guys like Munster, Hughes to a degree, but definitely Bellamy and Munster that are sitting there going, we are one of the best in the game still, and we want to prove it. We want to prove to everyone that although Cam Smith's the GOAT, Although Kronk's one of the best sevens we've ever seen, you know, although Billy Slater is, is one of the best fullbacks we've ever seen, we still can take this to the next level or the next generation of rugby league. I think that would be a big, big factor in this. For sure. And like you have a look at their record over the last few years since Smith retired, the reality is 
they haven't won a sudden death game since he retired. Yeah. So it's starting to stack up. Yeah. And I mean, it's not easy to win sudden death games, but it has been for the Melbourne Storm for the last 20 years. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And and the thing is, is it becomes one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. prophecies. If they go out again, you know, the, the tough thing is, is they had all these injuries this year, but no one remembers that. In the grand scheme of things, in a few years, no one goes back, oh, they had 15 long-term injuries, the most in the comp in 2022. And so let's say 2023 rolls around, they roll into finals and Munster and Paps goes down, knock, touch wood, or, or whatever, all of a sudden, it's now three years of winning, of, of losing sudden death, and, and it really becomes, a, oh, shit, like our big games aren't our big games anymore. And that's that was a thing the Storm had over any other club. They were a big game team, like, they, I cannot remember a time when the storm rocked up in a big game and got towed up. Yeah, and when you're talking about the best of the best as far as players and teams, there are no excuses. You just have to make it fucking work with what you've got. Uh, and yeah, I, I yeah, it is going to be interesting over the next few years because that, uh, I think the Cameron Smith shadow, it's getting bigger and bigger, uh, bigger and bigger the longer he's gone. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree, uh, and also. So Wayne Bennett came out and he was disappointed with Munster not uh, giving him a call to say that he, he wasn't coming. Um, look, I get where Wayne's coming from. I really do. I, like for me personally, I've always – like I remember when um, I was promised to start uh, at the Broncos and like if I re-signed, I promised to start uh, the year, the, like the 2008 year, and then uh, Reese Robson came along and he started round one. And I remember, you know, having to almost hype myself up to go and sit down to Wayne and go, mate, you promised that I'd start and I haven't started. Um, so I understand how hard those conversations can be. I really, really do. It's not, not, it's, it's awkward. It, you feel bad, even though this is a bit different because I was the one that, you know, had something promised. So I don't want to take anything away from the fact that these conversations are tough, but I agree with Wayne. You've got to have these conversations. You, I, Munster should have called Wayne and said, you know, mate, I'm not coming really appreciate the uh, the interest. Um, now, Munster has come out and since said, like, you know, uh, I understand why he's disappointed. I'm going to give him a call, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, look, I, I just think Munster maybe just wasn't thinking that much about it. You know, maybe you didn't think Wayne wanted him to call him. I'm not sure. What do you reckon about uh, Wayne's comments? Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I agree with Wayne as well. And without knowing their relationship too well, I mean, for me, it was pretty evident during that 2020 Origin Series that they had a very positive relationship, a very good one. You could see how, you know, they were embracing each other after those games and how, you know, Wayne simply got the best out of Munster. I mean, at the moment, when, when we look back at Cameron Munster's career and, you know, we've spoken about this with Nathan Cleary, that he doesn't really have that origin moment that separates him from others. Munster does in 2020, and I, I think he's got a lot of that to thank. You know, for to to Wayne Bennett, I I don't think that the the Maroons would have won that series if they didn't have him as the head coach, and I don't think that Munster would have played as well as he did if Wayne Bennett wasn't there. So, I, I was a bit surprised that Cameron Munster didn't make this phone call. Um, but mate, unfortunately, it seems to be coming a bit of a common trend with, with, with the Dolphins and and just with signings in general nowadays. I, I'm shocked at how many people come out and talk about that. Phone calls weren't made and whatnot. I know we all make mistakes and it is what it is and, and Munster's come out and owned it, but it really has surprised me. I, I Yeah. Just sorry. sorry. Um, with Munster, yeah, obviously I agree that he should have made the phone call, but do you think Wayne's comments were mostly upset that he didn't get a phone call or do you reckon there's a little bit of frustration there that he hasn't landed that big fish yet? 
Oh, I think it's a mixture of both for sure. Like, there's no denying he'd be frustrated, especially when there's been, you know, leaks about other players agreeing to come and, and basically, you know, allegedly backflipping or whatever. I will say though, like, you know, and I know some people go, "Oh, Dean, you always defend the players." I'm not defending the player. I, I would have that conversation. I have had those hard conversations. I had one with Wayne Bennett, I had one with Ivan Cleary. I will have the hard conversations. But I will say that, you know, clubs don't do themselves any favours because for, for every time we hear about a player not calling the club, how many times has players found out in the newspaper that they're, that they're under pressure to get, get let go and they go to the club and then the club says, oh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then in a month's time, they're literally gone. You know, so like it goes both ways. Not, I'm not talking about Wayne specifically because I don't know his, his thing. I'm just talking clubs, I'll put it this way. Both parties are guilty of creating an environment where you go through managers. And I think that, you know, clubs could be better and players could be better in making sure they have the conversation so that we don't have these situations where players are, you know, agreeing through a manager or kind of agreeing or whatever. Um, but, you know, all in all, I think Munster should give him a call. Is it a big deal? No, I don't think it's a big deal. Um, but I do think – I like that Munster came out and owned it. I, I respected that. I was like, you know what, he could have just – he could have just said, oh, I'm not going to take any interviews or whatever. He came out and said, you know what, probably the wrong thing. I'll give him a call. And it is an interesting point that Matty makes, whether Wayne you know, brought that up because he is genuinely upset about not getting the phone call or, or was it potentially just to distract us all from the fact that the Dolphins still don't have that guy now? I feel like at least it dominated headlines for a couple of days there that Cam Munster didn't make that phone call. Maybe it was a bit of a distraction from the situation that they found themselves in. Oh, I mean definitely a part of that like there's no i mean look wayne often comes across as a guy that gives the media nothing doesn't really play the game look you don't become a coach for as long as he has be as successful with he as he has without being one of the most shrewd operators with the media because any coach should know this by now if you don't have the media on your side you're basically finished because you cannot afford to have you can't afford to have five bad games if, you, if the media is not on your side and then there's other coaches that have good relationships with the media and look it sucks the world's like this it sucks everyone should just say how they feel respectfully um and and that's the way we should do things but at the end of the day it is what it is so wayne's a savvy operator i'm sure part of it was frustration i'm sure part of it was put it this way let's say he wasn't frustrated and he landed a bunch of other superstars he probably just would have. He would have been frustrated with the not receiving the phone call, but he probably would have just kept it to himself, or maybe rang Munster himself. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think a mixture of everything for sure. Yeah, it, yeah, it is such a, a an interesting situation where the Dolphins do find themselves now, mate. I'm I'm genuinely worried about where they're at and where they're going to be come round one next year. And I think it's in the NRL's best interest <laughs> and everyone's best interest for this franchise to be successful. But mate, I, I keep trying to make a best thirteen out of the team they've got and. Mate, I, I just I, – I struggle to see a world where they're genuinely going to compete next year at the moment. Well, look, I've looked at their roster too. I would say they still have probably, you know, 12th to 13th best roster on paper. Um, and that's that's all considering, like, you know, O'Sullivan plays the best he can play. The, the, the forwards that are coming from the Storm, they're not too old. They're not past it. They come out and they, they're really refreshed and re, – uh, uh, what's the word? Revigorated. Um, you know, they're really refreshed at a new club, and that's just what they needed. It was a, a new start of um, a new start. Uh, look, it's interesting as well because 
The other part of all of this is Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown are now sitting in this crazy spot. They're the premiership, like, sorry, they made the grand final. Relatively young, definitely Dylan Brown. Mitch Moses, 27, 28. All of a sudden, Parra going, oh my God, Munster, why couldn't have you signed with the Dolphins? Because we wouldn't have had to worry about them. Now, Dolphins would probably pay a million dollars for Mitchell Moses, even though I think he's probably worth around the seven to 800K. If you're the Dolphins, you probably have to do it, don't you? Mate, I, I think if you got Mitch Moses for a million and you're the Dolphins, I think you've done well. Like, mm. sure, like they've they've shown their cards over the last few months that they're willing to pay a Munster 1.4. You know that they've got the money there. I mean, simply by looking at their roster, you know that they've got the money there. Like, it would be a – whoever Mitch Moses' manager is, it would be a dream to get a phone call from them this week. Because, you, <laughs> mate, it, once again, it's similar to blank check sort of situations. If it's not me, who's it going to be? Yeah, and also you've got to spend the money. You can't just have it in a cap sitting there for no reason. Um, I will say also, you know, in Mitch, Mitch's, like a lot of people will immediately recoil at this idea of, of Mitch at the Dolphins and, you know, just for this, I don't, I don't get it. But when you actually look at the facts, he's taken a wooden spoon team to a premiership contender. And so, like, that's actually something Munster hasn't done. Munster has been in a premiership winning team and then it continued to be – now, don't get me wrong, I still think Munster is the better player. But facts are the facts. Moses was in a wooden spoon side, and he was just in a premiership. So maybe he could be the perfect fit for the Dolphins to help them rebuild. Like, I don't think that's getting considered enough. Uh, man, I especially think when you look around the league at who, genuinely who they can sign, I think he is by far and away the best option now. I mean, I, I think that when you look at Moses and, and Dill Brown, we can argue all, all day over who's the better player. But I think at the end of the day, getting a a key and gun halfback to build a franchise around is more important than a, than a gun 5-8, in my opinion. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. And I think I don't think Dylan Brown is what they need. I, yeah. I really don't. I, I think that they are desperate for a experienced leader in that key position. We'll put it, put it this way. Like, are you telling me that Mitch Moses can't play as well as Reynolds or Townsend on his day? Like, of course he can. And look what the the positive impact those two have had, at, you know, the Broncos and Cowboys. So the, the Eels have just – they've oh, talk about unlucky. Far out. They must be shaking their head going, oh, my God, jeez. Yeah, it's going to be interesting time. And, I mean, when we have a look at Wayne Bennett and we look at the history of him and his coaching career, like the one thing he's been able to do consistently is get the very best out of ageing forwards. So as much as I'm worried about this Dolphins pack, I mean, if he does manage to get the best out of your Kafusis, your Bromwiches, all the Mark Nichols, these sort of guys, which he's done time and time again, all of a sudden we're having a completely different conversation, especially if you can land a big fish in the halves somewhere. Yeah, well, at the, at the very least, like I, I personally believe, and, and look, I'm happy to say I'm wrong in, in 12 months' time, even if Bromwich and, and Kofusi and uh, you know Jesse Bromwich are at their, their best, I still can't see them making the eight. But that's I don't think I don't think them finishing anywhere from 10th to 12th, 9th to 12th, I think that's a good year. Like I think that's a massive win if they could come out and finish 9th to 12th. And I, that's, I agree with you in regards to Wayne has a tendency to get the best out of older forwards. And so if he can get the best out of them, I think they could rent. I, I'd probably still have them around 12th, but in a really good year, you know, maybe they do hit ninth or, you know, around the ninth or 10th mark. Mate, if they finish ninth next year, that is an incredible achievement. And that might sound crazy to people, but you look at other clubs in this competition and, you know, they, they, they've they've been preparing teams for five, six, ten years. 
and they're still not able to get off the, off the bottom of the ladder. If, if this Dolphins team comes in year one with the players that they've signed and the key positions that they're probably missing and manages to finish ninth, that's an incredible achievement. The, the Titans in their first year came 12th, in their second year came 13th, then they came third and fourth. So you, you consider that a very successful opening four years for a new team. And mate, they, they were not far off being in a grand final. They got beat by mm. the Chooks that night in the prelim final of 2010, I think it was. Yep, that's right. Like they, it, that was unbelievable for them to be where they were at that point. And I mean, could, could you imagine where, where the Gold Coast Titans would be now if they didn't have that two or three year really successful period? that made them really relevant there. I, I'm, I'm worried if the Dolphins are going to have that period, and if they don't, it's going to be very, very tough. Yeah, no, I agree. You need relatively early success. If you roll in and you come, you know, 15th or 16th, all of a sudden that half that was willing to to come to your club, the experienced one, is going, stuff that. I'm not walking into that again. And, and, mate, that's the hard thing. They're struggling to sign players now. Imagine if they come out and they collect two spoons in the first three years. Can I ask as well, yeah. should Rabbitohs fans be nervous that Cook, Latrell, Cody Walker still haven't re-signed? I, I cannot see Cody and Latrell going to any other club. Like, if they go somewhere, it'll be together. I can't see them leaving the Rabbitohs, though. They're so important to that community. You know, there is a, is quite a strong Indigenous following of, of the, um, the Rabbitohs, as well as the rest of the Rabbitohs fans, but... That's just that's just that little bit of extra icing on the cake for those boys. They know that they're doing something special for you know their community, uh, you know the indigenous community, and I think that those two boys together are supposed to play rugby league together. It, I just cannot see them splitting up again. And I know we've complimented him all year, but credit to Jason Demetrio. He had Wayne Bennett leave his club, start a new franchise with all the money in the world, and Wayne Bennett's only managed to poach Mark Nichols. And Cody Nicarima, who arrived halfway through the season. You look at everywhere else Wayne has left when he left the Dragons and went to Newcastle. Bo Scott, Jeremy Smith, Darius, uh, Alex McKinnon. There was a stack of guys he took with him. Credit to Jason Demetrio. He's obviously building something pretty good there if all those guys are willing to stay there despite the big money offers that they, they would have got from t- t- to follow Wayne up there. Yeah, you know what I think Demetrio did really well uh, with that? As I think he identified who the real leaders were in the team. Now, obviously, Cam Murray is the captain. But I think that he identified, look, if I want to win this playing group over, I need to have Cody Walker, Latrell Mitchell, and Damian Cook on my side. You know, Cam Murray is the ultimate professional. He is going to, under any coach, rip and tear. Um, whereas Cody Walker, Latrell Mitchell, and, and Cookie, they're, they're a little bit different, you know. Like that, like Cookie took a while to warm into his career. He needs confidence. And and the same with Latrell. And, and Cody Walker needs to be happy off the field. And so I think Demetrio really identified the key people to win, to get on his side, knowing then the rest of the squad would come on his side. So, look, I will say, I do think there is a small, small chance that Damien Cook is offered too good of money to, to stay at the Rabbitohs. So I actually think if there is a chance of losing someone, it's actually Damien Cook. It's not Latrell Mitchell and Cody Walker because the Rabbitohs can afford to pay, you know, Cody Walker seven to 800K. Um and Latrell Mitchell, a million dollars. And that's, you know, what he's probably worth. And I know some people will say, well, you know, we had that last game was a, a poor game for Latrell. It's like, okay, well, I'll pull up 20 other massive games where Latrell literally won it for him, including the the eight in a, the seven in a row or whatever that they went on. And, and not, um, Sorry, not only the money as well, the Dolphins could offer him a three-year deal, whereas we know that South may not offer an aging player such a long deal. And if Damian Cook wants a bit of security, be like Adam Reynolds, that could play a part in the Dolphins' favour too. 
And this is where it's also getting tough for the Dolphins. And I agree, I agree with you, Kenby. I think there's a real chance Damien Cook could end up there. But all these, you know, established stars that they're signing, they're all over the age of 30. So then it lends you to think, okay, what does the Dolphins look like in three or four years? Because a lot of these guys won't be playing then. If they would have got themselves a monster, as much as it's only two years difference, him being 28, you know you can build around him for the next half a decade. And they're just, that, that's the other thing I'm worried about, that they're, they're signing established players that will lay really good groundwork, but then within two or three years, they're going to have to go out and find new stars, and that's when I think it's going to be even harder for them to, to attract talent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So just to cap it all off, I think Munster deserves to be commended. He took, what, about a $1.5 million haircut for this? Yep. I think, you know, we always get angry at players for taking the money. They get absolutely slaughtered, leaving clubs early, all that kind of stuff. And Cam Munster is known as a bit of a rogue. And, a, you know, I know he's cleaned his life up now, but he's known as a rogue and he's known as the guy that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily associate with loyal, willing to take pay cuts. It's usually the, the straight down the arrow country bloke or whatever it is, or, you know, or it's a you know, a Polynesian bloke that's loyal to his playing group where they've got a large group of Samoa, Tongan players or whatever. That's what you usually associate loyalty with in rugby league. Um, you know, for example, we're talking about uh, Latrell and Cody Walker. They seem loyal to that community. And so with Munster, he's such a, a rogue that I don't think he gets enough credit for the fact that he just took a $1.5 million pay cut. I, I think he deserves a bit of a rap for that. I really do. Yeah, for sure, and I think it's something that people will never talk about either, which is inc- incredibly unfair. It, it just won't be spoken about. Mm. Um, it, I mean, another one we associate loyalty. Look at Penrith, all those boys, loyal as, loyal as anything to each other. Um, you know, Cam, Cam Murray is a guy that you would say it would look like a you know guy that you would put in that loyal box, uh, whereas Munster, he's, he's a rogue, and any kind of rogue in the game, you just don't associate with with that kind of stuff, which is... It just it proves that you know we should start you know rogues can be it sounds stupid but rogues can be loyal he literally just took so what he would have got one he's he's on about one million at the months he's at one million dollars at the storm yep. so not only did he down not only did he downgrade his current contract he's also losing nearly half a million dollars a year um, so four hundred k a year pretty much wow. I think he deserves a rap for that I really really do just like the Penrith boys deserve a rap just like. The, the Rabbitohs boys deserve a rap for staying loyal. The, the Broncos of yesterday, the Roosters boys, I know Boyd Cordner and uh, Sean Kenny Dale, uh, Friendy, I, I know all those boys spoke to each other and, and were loyal. So I think Munster deserves a rap there. I really do. It is interesting too with this Melbourne Storm side. I mean, you look for, you know, when the big three was dominant, it was always fullback, halfback and hooker. Those spots were the same every year and it was musical chairs everywhere else. Your back row, your centres, your wings. Kind of looks like they're laying that same sort of um, groundwork down at the Melbourne Storm for the next few years. So it could be an interesting time. Uh, really, really interesting. And now it's just a matter of, I just think they need a couple of front rowers probably. Yep. Um, maybe a couple of front rowers and a benchy. And I think that they, they are genuine, you know, a scary, scary side. They still are as it is, you know, with that spine, anyone's going to, I mean, the fact that they have Grant, Hughes, Munster, and Pappenhausen on, on multi-year deals is is honestly incredible. Uh, now, head on to our next uh, topic. Um, just before we do, though, guys, don't forget Bloke Nation shirts. They are still available at bloke.shop. We've got so many different uh, nationalities uh, in regards to the shirt nation that you can rep. I'm going to get them up for you so that you can get an idea of what we're going with here. You've got Aussie, Kiwi, English, Tongan, Samoan, Fijian, uh, 
Cook Islander, and the Cook Islander one is Cookie, uh, Lebanese, PNG, Greek, Italian, Indian, Spanish, Irish, Scottish, Welsh, French, Maltese, Canadian, Turkish, Chinese, Vietnamese, Filipino, Dutch, German, Sri Lankan, Macedonian, Chilean, Mexican, and Korean. So make sure to grab them, guys. Uh, honestly, it's my favorite drop. I'm, I'm literally wearing my Aussie bloke shirt right now while I'm overseas, and I, I love it. I love the fact that I get to wear it. Um, now, on to more big news. Benny Hunt re-signs with the Dragons. Look, I think this was always going to happen. I think that – I honestly even think that Ben Hunt could have pressured them even further if he really, really wanted to. Like, put it this way, if Ben Hunt put his foot down and said, I want a million dollars a year, they probably would have been forced to pay him that. Um, I, I, I'd assume they met around the 850 mark. It, it, I swear it seems like they met. Um, I guess great signing by the club. Thoughts on the signing, Guru? Mate, let, let, let's say, for example, that your estimation is right there. If the Dragons have kept Ben Hunt off the back of his career high year for 850, geniuses. Absolutely yeah. geniuses. I, 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 to be honest with you, I didn't expect him to stay. I, I thought he might m- make a move simply because he was coming off such a career high year. He has shown that you know we'll we'll talk about the Kangaroos soon. He's going to be the first choice hooker for the Kangaroos, <coughs> but he was you know probably the second best halfback in the competition this year. Like he is a supreme talent, Benny Hunt, and I really did think, especially when they seemingly you know lowballed him a couple of weeks ago, I thought there was a good chance that uh, that he would make a move. So congratulations to the Dragons, a, a huge, huge re-signing. And as we said last week when talking about the Dragons, it's scary to imagine them without him. It is a scary prospect. So uh, w- well done to them. It sort of s- sets them up f- to hopefully have a bit more um, success over the next few years. Yeah, and in regards to negotiation, it's a it's a tactic. It's literally a you know known tactic in any any good negotiator. It's all in the books, everything like that, business books. You always lowball early because what happens is, is let's say you go, all right, Benny, six fifty. That's the first offer. Then Benny Hunt he gets insulted. He's like, are you serious? But then what they what they do is is they incrementally like increase their offer so that the the other party feels like there's been progress made. But in reality, the club was always going to pay 850. They were just trying to make it seem like that, that they were making, they were listening and they were trying to work with them. But I will say this is this is a case where if a player comes, I, I believe anyway, like I understand why the Dragons did it. They're a business and it's, it's a smart way to negotiate. But sometimes there's, it's, you know, my experience in business, sometimes it's better just be straight up with each other especially when the reports came out that Ben Hunt had said he will take around 800 to 850. Sometimes it's better just to put your cards on the table and start from a really honest spot and be like, this is what we're willing to pay and we're not we're not going to go any higher or lower. We're not trying to negotiate with you. This is our price. And and I think that if Benny, the fact that Benny Hunt had already come to them and was willing to take a pay cut, I think it would have just been a little bit better if they had of um, just met him there straight away. In saying all that, it, it's all irrelevant. It doesn't matter. They got their man. It's a great re-signing for, for the Dragons. Now, we'll talk about it quickly because, oh, mate, I cannot believe I heard this. So I was um, with Matty Johns and uh, Webby uh, on Friday, the show on Friday, Morning Glory with Matty Johns. And we, we, you always have a feed in the cafe before we go up just to talk about, you know, what's going on and the, what we're going to talk about, rah, rah. To be honest, it always feels a bit bizarre, like I'm sitting there talking to Matty Johns about random <laughs> stuff. But anyway, um, and so Webby goes, so... Then if 27 out of 30 didn't come to your prezzo, what would that be like? And I said, oh, be normal. Like, wouldn't be a big deal. So in my head, like, so then Webby gave me like this weird reaction. 
And so in my head, I um like I was like, why is Webby acting weird? Like like for me saying that it's that's not a, a big deal. Anyway, so Webby kind of just ended the conversation, just ended it right there. Anyway, later on air, I found out what he meant was, and I should have been listening more correctly, I thought he meant three players didn't turn up. <laughs> and so I was thinking, yeah, that's normal. Like but blokes go on holidays or they've got families, rah rah. 27 blokes not turning up to a this is a like that's a disaster i've never heard of anything like that in my life now if you're looking at a glass half full and this is going to sound like kempi you are way too much of an optimist i'm not saying that this is the case but if you want to be an optimist one positive you could say is at least they're united as a playing group at least they're united (laughs) (laughs) because like to risk to risk their contracts to risk their contracts, <laughs> you know how hard it is to get 27 blokes on the same page when oh. it comes to like your contracts, money, rah, rah, and yet they're all on the same page. But I will say the fact that Hook is going to be the coach next year, you know, I'm looking at this glass half empty, not half full. I think this is really, really concerning. I was going to say the uh, glass half full take, your, your glass was overflowing there for a second. <laughs> oh, I, 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 again, that's what I was saying. I, yeah. don't, I don't feel like that, but I'm saying like if you wanted to look at it some crazy positive way, that is a like think about it. 27 blokes are willing to risk getting a strike on their contract to send a message. Yeah, but for sure. I don't, I, yeah. So sorry, mate. Yeah, like especially when you think of that twenty-seven. Like, there, there must be ten or fifteen of them that are fringe first graders as well. Like, I imagine, mate, that must be a ballsy thing to do. Ballsy thing to do to not show up there in the first place. But if you're a fringe first grader trying to show this is where you belong and that you want to be a dragon, I cannot believe that so many of them haven't showed up. It's wild. Yeah. So we would have had fringies literally willing to get in trouble by the club. For send a message. It, oh, I think this is a disaster, man. Uh, how how in the world is Hook going to get that whole squad back on board when this is how far they were willing to go to say, we are not on board? And I mean, it'd be interesting. Like, obviously, Ben Hunt was there, and you, you can probably touch on it more, Kenby, but I would imagine at some point someone's posted in a group chat and said, so who's going? Are you going? Am I going? Like, it, it obviously is a very organised thing, and it's, I mean... Yeah, if I if I was Hook, I'd be trying to find out who's sort of pushed this and who started it as well. It's a, it, it's it's a situation that has happened in October, mate. It could it could still have an impact on the club come March, realistically. Well, so Benny Hunt has come out and said, you know, it's disrespectful, and yeah, there were some people that had holidays and other people just didn't decide to turn up. But he's also come out and said, if we don't have a good start, Hook's gone, and it's just like. Like, that is so hectic. That is so hectic. Like, I cannot describe to you the, 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 I guess, the miscommunication that is going on between admin and playing group and coach. If I'm Hook, I'm not looking for who started it. I'm not looking for anyone. I'm getting the boys all in a room. And I know this is going to sound like, oh, you're just kowtowing. But I would be trying to get the boys back on. Like, I'd be like, boys, what do you need changed? Because... Otherwise, he's go- he's gone. How will he keep his job if these players aren't going to be willing to play for him? Is this a situation, Kempi, where you get all thirty in a room, or are you just getting the leadership group? Like we know that Ricky Stewart, he sat down all thirty. Yeah, you just got to sit down with all of them. All thirty, all thirty, and go, boys, tell me what the issue is, and I'll change it. Because again, whether Hook is right or wrong, whether Hook is actually doing the right thing, and he just has a playing group that isn't listening, that's irrelevant. Because if the playing group doesn't play for him, he's gone. 
So his only option now is to make sure he has a playing group on his side so that there is a higher chance that they will start the year well next year. That's the only option he has because if, if he doesn't get them on his side, they're not going to play for him. So again, it doesn't matter whether Hook's right or wrong. It really doesn't. All that matters is the fact is getting the playing group on his side. So I'd be sitting all 30 down and say, boys, honestly, Sesh, you won't be judged, won't be held against you. You can be as honest as you'd like. I want you to tell me exactly what the issue is and, and I will I will strive to change it. And I know that's it's a very hard thing to swallow your pride, especially as the head coach. Like some may be listening going, hang on a sec, Kempi, you're telling the head coach to kowtow to the playing group? But it's like, what other option does he have? Keep them all offside and then get fired? Like, how does that help anyone? Yeah, I mean, especially after Ben Hunt has come out and said that. I mean, and it's obvious that seemingly the players aren't giving their their, their full support to Hook at the moment. So I, I agree, Matt. I don't think he's got a choice. It, re- it really doesn't. He like, just has to go really cards doesn't. on the table and hope that it works out. 100%. Cards on the table. Boys, this is how I'm feeling. This is where I've been coming from for the last 12 months. Tell me what the issue is. I'm sure it's probably around the reports that, you know, uh, there's uh, people feel like the reports anyway that he, the, some of the players feel like um, he has favourites, um, which isn't uncommon. It's not uncommon, but obviously you can take it to the extreme. But yeah, the fact that uh, Benny Hunt has literally come out and said, if we don't start well, he's gone. Um, and he didn't say it in an aggressive way for people listening. So don't, please don't like, misquote what he said. It was, it was in a, Benny Hunt was saying it in a way of resignation of like, you know, I, there's no, I can't really say much more other than, like, we need to win to keep him. We need to win to keep him. Uh, yeah, look, the Dragons are in a tough spot. They're in such a tough spot because they could still lose Sullivan and Sloan before the season starts. For sure. Uh, can I just ask you, Kempi, are you surprised that Ben Hunt came out and said – I mean, there was no need for him to say he didn't have to. What, what are the positives that you see the Dragons getting out of that? Those, he's an honest bloke. He's yeah. honest. Like, he's just honest. And and that's, like, I like it. I, I, I like the fact that I, because, I look, the cookie cutter answer would have been like, no, we're all here to play. And, yeah, that's what we've gotten used to as, as fans. But I think a lot of Dragons fans appreciated Benny Hunt's honesty because the, the, what Benny Hunt, in, in that moment, what Benny Hunt's doing is saying, I recognise fans, how you're feeling right now. I recognise the whole community, how they're feeling about how we're playing. And it almost, it, I'd assume it would make fans feel more valued because they're not just getting ignored. And it's not just a matter of like business as usual and I get to get paid the big bucks or whatever. He's literally saying, we hear you and we want to change it. I think that's, I like it. I, I honestly really do. It is interesting though, if you're one of the players that, you know, isn't a huge fan of Hook and you now know he's potentially only a couple of weeks away from going, it, it, it he really could go either way though. Yeah, so as in, like, you think the players could go even further to try to get, get him gone? Because oh, well, like, I, I just mean that, like, if there's players within that club that, and, and evidently there is, there's 27 of them that didn't show up to the end of season function, which I, I find ridiculous. But there's obviously must be guys there that aren't believing in what Hook is doing or don't believe that they've been treated in the right manner. And if those guys now know, hey, the, the skipper, he obviously knows more than what we do. If he knows that he's going to be gone within the first few weeks, if we don't come out and perform... I mean, if, if they don't believe in this guy, that it's it's going to be tough for them to find the motor. It's hard to win games in the NRL full stop. When you've got the, you know, potentially the guy that you don't want there who could be on his way out, I don't know. It just, it's just, it's such a dragon situation to find yourself in. It's, it's October 10th. 
how on earth are we having these conversations? Oh, and it, it's just, I, I've never heard anything like it. Like, I know that there have been protests, you know, back in the day. I think didn't, um, some of the players, they boycotted the Dally M's a yep. long time ago. Yeah, 03. Um, 03. But I can't recall a time where a playing group literally didn't rock up to the, the function. I, I can't recall it at all. Um, I, I truly think Hook's been backed into a corner, and that is a fully, boys, tell me what to change, I'll change it. Because otherwise, you're right. Like The players are going to be like, he's gone anyway. So I think the one thing that does defend him a little bit from that happening is the fact that players don't want to play bad because then they don't get contracts. They don't get re-signed. Their value goes down. Um, it's, it's a huge risk to, to just throw, not throw games, but not have a crack because that can snowball. And before you know it, you're sitting at the end of the year, you don't have a bloody contract. Yeah, so uh, I'm not suggesting that they, they won't have a crack, but like the reality is in the NRL that if you're at 90% instead of 100%, you will lose that game of football. 100%. Yeah, for sure. like they, and that's just how difficult this competition is. If you're coming up against a team that probably has a little bit less ability than you, which, to be honest, the Dragons don't come up against all that many sides that have less ability than them, wanting to be able to play for your coach and whatnot and, and not having in the back of your mind that, oh, well, there's going to be a new guy here in a few weeks potentially. I, I just – I think it could play a role early. Oh, for sure. As I said, the, I feel like the only way the Dragons get out of this is if Hook literally sits them all down and says, boys, what do you want me to do? What do you, what do you want me to change? What, what's not working? What do I need to potentially say, look, got that wrong, got this right, whatever it is. There's, I can't see another way forward for him. I, I really can't because – now it's extremely clear the club isn't going to back him for a rebuild. The club isn't going to go, hooks our man to clean this whole roster out and bring some another roster in. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's it's tough. And it's tough without really knowing what has happened, whether who's right, who's wrong. You know, so if you're listening and you're feeling like we're being a bit harsh on Hook or we're being harsh on the playing group, whatever, it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's more about this is the situation they find themselves in and this is really the only way we can see it forward. It is sitting down and talking and, and talking through it. Otherwise, what's the point? Like, and well, that's, if you put it this way, if, you, if you're the Dragons, sorry, just quickly, yep. if you're the Dragons and nothing and, and, and nothing happens, like they don't sit down and speak, the playing group is still not playing for Hook, why go into the season at all with that? Like, what's the point? Yeah, it's wild. And I mean, yeah, you have a look at the, you know, the, the three players as well. Ben Hunt, he obviously got the award. The other two players, pretty young guys as well. I mean, this I look at that dragon side and sort of look at it and go, geez, there's so many guys that are over the age of 27 into your 31, 32s. And for all those experienced guys who in the past, when I look at teams that Hook has coached, he, I would say that he tends to have a really close relationship with those older and mature players. Like you have a look a few years ago. <laughs> He pretty much signed that entire, what was it, 2015 Broncos team to come back and play for them. For a lot of those older guys to not show up, I reckon that's that's a serious worry. Yeah, really, really concerning. I, I hope they can work it out because I, I think Hook does deserve at least another season. Like at least, well, at least another half a season to prove what he can do. He did some really good thing at the Penny Panthers. And okay, I think there were... I think it was one year. It was the first year the Broncos missed the finals. He was there. But outside of that, you know, he, he did solidly at the Broncos. Look where, look how poorly the Broncos fought, fell out, you know, when Bennett left the second time. So, Hook can clearly coach. Like, it's not like he can't. He, he's done it. I mean, I, I know he won't get that many, not, that many raps for it. But the Penrith Panther system, for two years, he was their coach in a vital part of their career. So, 
you know, he had some part of that. Uh, he was fourth when he got the sack. So I would like to see him get a, a good, fair, solid go in this second year. Um, or sorry, in the in the first 10 weeks or so, because I, I think he deserves that chance. I really do. And yeah, and, and just having through, you know, a look at the list of guys that didn't show up. Like, There's been guys there that I think Hook has backed in unbelievably this year. Even when I thought, geez, I probably wouldn't have backed that guy in. And even, even those guys aren't there. So it's... Yeah, mate, this could be a disaster very quickly. I hope it's not. I hope that he's able to turn it around. The Dragons are able to sort it out. But, um, yeah, the optics aren't great. So, yeah, it's – oh, man. The Dragons, they could, they've could. got so much potential as a club. They really do. I know we say that about every club, but, you know, what, 2010, they're winning comps. Um, since then, just haven't really fired a shot. I mean, they, they went on that runs early in the year with Mary McGregor. I will say, you know, like – I guess if you're Paul McGregor, or if you, a lot of people that were wanted Mary to be moved on or whatever, I feel like the club was in a better better spot than like the club is in probably the worst spot it's been in since 2010 or 11 or 12. You reckon? I think so. Yeah, it's just, and it, and you know like it's crazy as well because like you, you've had Anthony Griffin come in, you had Paul McGregor who left on pretty uncertain terms. At some point, do we start to look in the mirror and go? Maybe it's not the coach. I think so. I, I really do. Um, now, I do. I think they do have new management, as in like the last year or two. Um, now, a really interesting person that may, if, if Hook doesn't work out or whatever, is um, Dean Young. He's actually an assistant coach, Cowboys. Yep. And he's got a fair bit of raps on him. And obviously being a club legend and, you know, winning that grand final and super, one of the toughest players literally to ever play the game. Um, I wonder whether he's being sounded out. Not yet, obviously, because that's like a, a pretty unfair on Hook. But if Hook doesn't work out, do they turn to an old club legend to just instill culture back in the joint, you know? Well, it's interesting because you've got Dean Young. He's the assistant coach at the Cowboys. And you've got Jamie Sowell, who's coaching the NRLW. You've also got Ben Hornby, who was the captain of that 2010 Dragons. Matty, is he still at the Bunnies? Assistant? I'm pretty sure he's still an assistant coach yeah, at the Bunnies. Yeah, so there are options there. None of them have obviously coached. Um, in the NRL as of as of this moment, but th- there are options there, and I, mate, I, I think it's getting to the point they've now. And I mean, Mary McGregor is a club legend as well, and they yeah. they sacked him as well. It's starting to become one of these jobs where, when I get the phone call, I think, is this the best career option for me? Mm. Yeah, I, I think one thing that I think we're maybe beginning to realise is. Paul McGregor did a bit better than he got credit for. He yeah. built a really good – I thought their roster – there was at one stage their roster had the most origin players of any club in the comp. Now, yes, they didn't pull it all together and they would bomb out of finals or whatever. But, I mean, being – Dragons fan, I assume, would be would kill to be on top of the ladder come round 10 and then fade off to 6th or 7th, coming 6th or 7th right now. And, and it also, when you just look at the roster, like the roster that he built, was a roster that, you know, excited everyone. Whereas at the moment, the roster at the Dragons, it got really good young guys coming through, but we've discussed it quite a bit. It's just, it doesn't have that same, I guess, excitement that that a few years ago did for the for the Dragons. And, mate, just, you know, to defend Hook for a minute, I mean, we were halfway through last year going, the Dragons are doing pretty bloody well this year, and the players decided to have their barbecue, and it all went to shit after that. Yeah. Like, I, I was sitting there going, I reckon the Dragons are probably going to make... Ma- play finals footy, they might only play one or two games, whatever, but to make the top eight 
is an incredible achievement. As soon as they had that barbecue, it all went downhill after that last year. And I don't know if you can blame that on Hook. I mean, what? Like, how can you spin it? I, I, I do feel feel sorry for him. I don't agree with a lot of decisions he's made, but I, I do think it's pretty short memory by the playing group to skip out on this function when you consider what happened the year before. Yeah, no, absolutely agree with you. I, I, like, there are certain things that I disagree with in regards to selections and, I guess, tactics or whatever. But that was so unfair on Hook. Far out, that was unfair on the poor bloke. He'd gotten them. You're right. He'd gotten them in the eight. You know, yeah, they probably would have got bounced out first or second week, but they were looking really, really. They were looking the strongest they'd looked in a long time. Um, and then that barbecue happens, and they they really haven't recovered. And I, I wonder, you know, were the punishments too harsh, and that's kind of filtered down to now or yeah i'm not sure but you're right the players you know need to cut him a little bit of slack he was let down massively by that whole situation um anyway let's get to the next topic uh we've spoken about hamiso so a rugby world cup rugby league world cup uh preview so just looking at some of the scores I, like this don't take anything away from these scores uh like obviously you know these are not full strength sides or whatever, but in uh, some these are warm up matches, just warm up matches. England defeat Fiji fifty nil. Now I think Fiji was playing basically a reserve grade side. Uh, Cumbria defeat Jamaica twelve, uh, it's twenty eight twelve. New Zealand defeat Leeds seventy four nil. Tonga defeat Tonga defeat uh, France forty eight to twelve. Greece draw, draw with Bradford thirty four to thirty four. Lebanon defeat Wales 38 to 22. England Knights, which is the England B side, defeat Scotland 28 to 4. The one that stands out for me that I, I really like for, and I know, again, I know it's just trials, so it's not full strength side, but it's the New Zealand and England of 50 nil and 74 nil because it's so easy to go out there and just be like, we're going to tear these players up. Let's just have a bit of fun throw the footy around. Who cares if we make an error? I like seeing the nil scoreline. And and I like seeing putting on scorelines that they should put on because that means they're in the right mental space and they're setting standards even when the opposition isn't that great. Especially that New Zealand game. How often do you see a team go in at halftime up 30 nil or something and then it just slows down completely in the second half? Like you quite often see in these big smashings that you look at the scoreboard, then you look at the second half and you go, oh, fuck, they actually lost the second half because they took um, their foot off the gas. The the New Zealand side scored more points in the second half than they did in the first. You don't see that very often. And I don't think, I, I agree with you. I don't think people give enough credit to when they just do what they should do. They should win by a heap and they go out and do it. But it is so easy to take your foot off the gas and just take it easy and cruise because you're already home. So I, I think credit to uh, New Zealand and, and their mindset in that game. And also, New Zealand has had a tendency in the past to, to come in and out of games. It's almost been their Achilles heels. Like Achilles heels, heel. For, for how long have we said this Kiwi side, one to thirteen, should be one of the best in the in the world and challenging Australia? The only difference is is that when Australia is at their best, they're playing for eighty minutes, whereas the Kiwis will play. How many games have we watched Australia versus New Zealand where the half time score is twelve six to Australia? And then in the second half, obviously, Australia kick on with that. I think it's really exciting. Again, I understand it's against really low-tier competition compared to what they have, but they did what they were supposed to do. And that is way harder than people think it is, way harder. Um, But anyway, let's get on to a preview. Uh, So basically, 
we have, sorry guys, get this up. The Australian team. Uh, what is our Australian one to thirteen, and then who could be on the bench? Guru, what would be your Australia one to thirteen? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think a lot of these guys they pick themselves in certain positions, but there's a few. Like, there's a back row spot and a bench spot that I, I just can't work out. So I'm interested to hear what you think. I've got Teddy at fullback. My wingers, despite him playing centre, I would be having Val Holmes on one wing and I would have Fox on the other side. Left centre, I'd go with Latrell Mitchell. you got the best left centre in the world. you got to pick him there. Right centre, I've got that open. I've probably I've got two names written down here. I've got Jack White and Campbell Graham. I probably think Malman Inger will go with Jack White in there, but Campbell Graham's obviously a noted right centre. Money at six. Um, I'm here. I heard that Nathan Cleary might be injured for the first game, so DCE will start there. But it sounds like it's a pretty even race for that half spot. I'd go for Cleary when fully fit, though. Front row, I've got Regan Campbell-Gillard, Tino, Benny Hunt. Cam Murray starts in the back row, and then I'd have either Angus Crichton or Nanai. I'd probably go with Angus at the moment, though. Isaiah Yeo at 13. Then my bench, Grant, Cotter. Um, then either Nanai or Martin. And then... I've got one more jersey there, which either goes to Jake Trevojevic, Paddy Carrigan, Lindsay Collins. I really can't separate uh, those front rowers. What, what does your side look like? Um, so just for the first games, I think it's either one or two that the Panthers players aren't playing. Um, so anyone that played in the grand final, I think he's resting them for at least the first game. Okay. Uh, but let, let's just assume he's not resting anyone. We'll just assume that. I would go uh, Tedesco at one. Addo Carr on one wing, Val Holmes on the other wing. Then I would have in the centres Latrell Mitchell. Uh, I would actually go with Campbell Graham. Campbell Graham. Um, you know, he's young. He's a specialist centre. But I think he'll go with Whiten. I think he'll go with Whiten. Just because he's an incumbent, isn't he? Because he played for Australia the last time they played. Yep. Um, oh, actually, that's a tough one. Um you know what? You probably got to give it to White. That would be a bit unfair. He's the incumbent. He had a big year. You probably give it to White. Uh, oh, well, just can I just I, jump in there? I, the only thing about White is he didn't get picked there for New South Wales. Whether that was the right or wrong call is that he's usually left, so that it's the right center that's going to be free. And that's where it becomes interesting because you got Matty Burton who plays on the left, you got Jack White who plays on the left. Campbell Graham is the only right side player, and that's why I'm oh, okay. with, I'm with you, Damon, where Campbell Graham is my center. Yeah. Yeah, specialist centre, for sure then. Um, I'd be putting Campbell Graham then there. Um, because, like, I'm trying to think, you know, Whiten's probably – is he the only out-and-out six to be the ready for Munster if he anything happens? I think he is. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I've got Campbell Graham, Holmes on one wing, Adoko on the other, six and seven, Munster Cleary. DC, he's incredible. He, he, You know, what he's achieved in his career, that game three was incredible. If you had said let's select it after game three – I would have given it to uh, DCE. I would have given him the first crack. But it is clear his time. We're talking about the back-to-back winning seven that has won a Clive Churchill. He absolutely dominated and owned this final series. Like, he almost hasn't got enough raps for how dominant he was in this final series. He's... how, How good... Like, how good can he play to not get selected. I just, he can't play any better. He, he, he literally cannot play any better. So I'm going to play Cleary there. Um, I think he won out of the finals games. They played three. I think, did he win two man of the matches? Yeah, he was man the of the match series? against Parramatta and then in the prelim final as well, he was MOM. And oh, I think what you said there, it's time. 
I think everyone understands what that means. It is just time for Nathan Cleary to be the halfback for this side. Yeah, like I understand DC's experience and there's so much that DCE can teach Cleary still. And if Cleary comes, like let's say Cleary gets a little niggly injury, DCE comes out and kills it, then by all means, give DCE the jersey. But at what point do we have to say, international footy is back, we pick a seven, he is the guy going forward, and for the next 10 years, it's his side. I think that time is now. He's 24. He's not 21. He's not 18. He is an origin, back-to-back winning Number seven. Um, and it's know, and so good theory. to see the kangaroos so, like this as well. For so many years, the spine just automatically picked itself. Yeah. We're back to like genuinely having a, a competition for a spot, which I think is unreal. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, so, But I would be going Cleary every single day of the week. Um, but more than happy for, for DC to come out and do what he did game three and prove me wrong, even though I was backing him game three origin. But I just think... When you, when you stack up the last few years of what Cleary has achieved and what DC has achieved, even in both of their best games, Cleary's the guy. Cleary is the guy. Um, it, but it, again, you're right. How good is it that we have – DC would be the starting seven, like essentially in any other team, maybe outside New Zealand. Hughes might pip him. I, I, don't, I don't know. It'd be interesting. But outside of that, you know, and we've got him fighting for the spot. So I, I also think – He'll teach Cleary so much. I understand that Cleary already gets taught by Joey, by Freddie Fittler, by his father. I understand all that. But I do think there are elements of DC's game, especially that Game 3 origin, where he made experienced decisions that Cleary just didn't know how to react quickly enough to, that DC will be able to teach Cleary in this camp. So I actually think both – and I also actually think Cleary will have a lot to teach DCE as well because he's this new age halfback. So I think both players and clubs are going to come out better for it. Now, um, forward pack. I'm going to go, um, where is it? I'm going to start Lindsay Collins. Um, Actually, oh man, this is a tough one. So I'll start Regan Campbell-Gillard for sure. And I'm I'm torn between starting Lindsay Collins or Paddy Carrigan. Actually, you know what? Lindsay Collins on the bench because he did that for Origin. I'll start Tino because he gets through a lot of work. So my starting front row is Tino and uh, RCG. Then my back row is Angus Crichton, uh, Cam Murray. 13, Isaiah Yo. Uh, 14, uh, 9, obviously Benny Hunt. 14 is obviously Harry Grant. Um, then I would have Paddy Carrigan, Lindsay Collins, uh, Harry Grant, and... Um, oh, who's the last one? Does Jake Trevojevic uh, get a start? Nanai. Okay. No, Nanai. Because I just reckon you've got those two front rowers covered with Paddy Carrigan and Lindsay on the bench there. It, it will be interesting, you know, as you just said, that um, he won't be playing any of the Panthers boys in the first game. So you assume that Cam Murray, he'll play 13. So then you'll have um, Angus and Nanai. Are those two playing for the other spot in that game, do you think? I think Crichton's got it. I I think there has to be some sense of loyalty to a bloke that's been around for a bit. I I don't know. Maybe I'm a bit old-fashioned, but I do think that – and look, it it sounds a bit hypocritical because Jackie Whiten is obviously incumbent. Um, I mean, 
Is he though? Because he was on the actually no, was Latrell playing that last year? I'm pretty sure he anyway. was. I, I've got a feeling Jack might have been the 14 in that game. I could be wrong. Are we talking about the last okay. Australian game? Yeah, the Tonga game. Yes. Yeah, so, so I just had a look. I was going to bring this up, and this kind of makes my previous point redundant. The centers were Latrell and Jack White. Yeah, I thought so. I yeah, thought so. Uh, that's why I said he's the incumbent. So yeah, you're right. If that if that's the case, I put Jackie White on that edge because I think he played really well, if I recall, recall correctly. Mm. And I, I just like that sense of a little bit of loyalty. Like you've got to fight for that spot. You don't just get to play club footy and come into it. You've got to go away on these tours and take that jersey. Um, so, yeah, I'll put Jackie White in there. Um, and just Campbell Graham obviously playing in some of the smaller the smaller matches. Um, anyway, now on to uh, preview in general. First round games, Pool A. Uh, you've got England, France, Greece and Samoa. Pool B, Australia, Italy. Fiji, Scotland, Pool C, Ireland, Jamaica, Lebanon, New Zealand. Pool D, Cook Islands, PNG, Wales, and Tonga. First week of games, you've got England versus Samoa at 2.30 p.m., which is actually 12.30 a.m. Um, you know what? I'll read out just the Australian times. England versus Samoa, 12.30 a.m. Australia versus be, Fiji. Sorry, this will be Sydney, Sydney times. Sydney time. Yeah. Sydney time. Australia versus Fiji, 5.30 a.m. Scotland versus Italy. 12.30 a.m. Jamaica versus Ireland, 3 a.m. New Zealand versus Lebanon, 5.30 a.m. France versus Greece, 5.30 a.m. We'll go to the first game. England versus, uh, versus Samoa. This is the, the match, the first week. This is the match of the first week, in my opinion. This will really give us a good, a good indication as to how legit Samoa are. They've got a lot of hype heading into this. Um, and look, all my Usos that are listening, I'm hyped, boys. I'm hyped. Uh, you know, obviously I did win Daliem Palangi of the year, so I'm hyped for you boys. But I will say I want it, it needs to be proven. You know, your the Samoa team on paper is a fucking beast of a team, an absolute beast. Suoliti on the back there. You got, uh, you know, Tango, you got To'o, like Luai. But at the end of the day, I need to see them playing before I get too excited about them. I, I would still have Tonga ahead of them. Um, I'd still have New Zealand ahead of them, Australia ahead of them. And to be honest, maybe even right now, I would still have England ahead of them. On paper, they're arguably nearly as, they're one to 13 is nearly as good as, you know, the best of them. But I just need to see them put it together first. So what are your thoughts on the England Samoa game, Guru? How good is it to see that England are playing at home in a World Cup, the opening game, and Samoa's the favourite at $1.50? So good. How good is that for International Rugby League? Unbelievable. And, yeah, you're right. Samoa, on paper, the team is unbelievable. It's going to be – it's a really exciting time. And I would say that over the last few years, you know, I'd probably say that every nation has probably shown us in big games that they're improving at a a really rapid rate. Samoa, I'd probably argue over the last few years they've potentially underachieved a little bit compared to your Tonga and these other sides. So huge test for them. They've got the team on paper and – you know, the beauty of it now is that they've got the halves as well. You've got your own Luai, and that's all, always sort of been um, the missing jigsaw piece for them. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to see how they go. And um, it'll be interesting to see if a dollar fifty uh, is fair because it's a pretty handy um, English side that, that, that they've put out as well, especially when you throw Victor Radley into the mix. He, he's going to do a lot for them. So super excited for that first game. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I, I would go as far to say some of those last few years have been disappointing. Yeah, I really would. I, I, I think they've underachieved massively. I think that they absolutely have the same talent that Tonga has. 
I really, really believe that. You could even argue more. Matter of fact, if you go and look at the origin front row, the starting front row, all Samoan. Payne Haas, um, Tino, uh, Junior Polo, um, Papali'i. So, like, to think about that. Think about how impressive that is. Four front rowers are Samoan. Like, it's just so, – so, on paper, Samoa absolutely can win a World Cup and they absolutely can become the best side in the world. I honestly believe that. Now, does it, does it mean, like, right now? No. But if, if you have – the same resources that the Australian side has had for so long. And I understand it's the Australian, like the NRL is an Australian league. So only naturally is Australia going to have the most resources. But as these, you know, other nations begin to get more resources and begin to get more players saying, you know what, I want to play for my heritage. It's going to even the playing field massively, massively. Uh, so I'm excited for Samoa, but it's, it's a very tepid tepid excitement i'm not getting ahead of myself if anything i actually think them being favorites at a dollar 50 is too short i need to see them first i need to see them first once i see them play we'll know where their heads at we'll know whether you know do they have the high completion rate that they need do they have uh the ball playing out the back with suwali'i um i tell you what's really interesting though is like suwali'i is so talented you could make the argument that he may have the best tournament of any fullback in the comp. Now, look, Joey Manu and Tedesco are the two guys, no doubt, but you can't tell me Suwali'i at his best couldn't challenge those guys form-wise. I'm not talking about career. I'm not talking about... I'm talking about a young superstar stepping up on a big world stage and doing something special. If there is one guy that can do that, it's Suwali'i. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it won't shock me in the slightest if we, if in five or six weeks' time we're talking about him coming of age as a fullback and showing that he is capable of doing it. Um, I think a lot of people have been really harsh on Joseph after he was forced to go into the fullback spot with no reps whatsoever for the Roosters a couple of weeks ago. And again, they were on the back foot with a heap of injuries. I, the, the way that people are writing him off as a fullback off the back of that is fucking ridiculous in my opinion. If you've written, if you've written Joseph Suoliti off as a fullback after watching 50 minutes or so of a game, you need to punch yourself in the penis. <laughs> That's what you need to do. That's what you need to do because that is absolutely ridiculous. He was thrown into the deep end in one of the most brutal games we've ever watched. And if you actually watch the game, his ball running was absolutely superb. The only thing he was missing was pass selection. Mm. Pass selection can be taught. It, it, it's not... He has the ability to part. He is an absolute freak. He came up through the grades playing fullback. It may take a year or two. That's only natural. This kid is 19. So that's that's craziness. That's craziness to think that he can't. Now, look, if in a couple of years' time, you know, let's say three or four years, he's still struggling to get the ball playing going, then you could say, you know, maybe he's not suited for the new age uh, fullback. But right now, as we speak, with only seeing 50 minutes of the kid play, to say he's not going to be – put it this way. Imagine a rookie debuted in that game and he had the same stats as Suwali'i had for that game. Because if you go back and you go back and look at his stats, he had the most metres, I think, of any player. He had like 250 metres, run metres. If that was a rookie, which he essentially is, he's a 19-year-old, we'd be all talking about this next fullback that is the next big thing. He just needs to work on his passing game. Yeah, 100%. It's completely unfair the way he's been treated. I um I don't have like a best 17 in front of me, but just reading through this Samoan squad, geez, it'd be a tough gig actually picking their best 17, wouldn't it? There's so many, especially in the forward pack, 
they are stacked. And, you you know, obviously there's a lot of Penrith Panthers players, but you're looking just about every single position, you know, your halves, your outside backs, your back row, your front row. Mate, there's literally a premiership winner in all those spots. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, they are. That's what I mean. Like, I, I, under, I think people are a bit too excited because we haven't seen them play yet. But I understand the excitement when you look at yeah. that. that. That is the best on paper we've seen Samoa look pretty much ever. Um, so, yeah, really, I, I am excited. I just need to see them play first because I think we've been excited with Samoa before and they've been a bit underwhelming. Now, just quickly on England. I Look, coming into this, I've been saying I, I'm really underwhelmed with England and I think it may be the bias of I don't watch Super League. So I don't know who's good. I don't know the level of standard they're playing. I will say, though, that Victor Radley coming in, its I don't know if it's a game changer because I don't want to disrespect the Super League players and sit there and go, oh, yeah, the NRL player coming in and he's going to change all you guys and he's going to teach you all these great things. It's not about the, like NRL being better than Super League or anything like that. What's good about Victor Radley coming in is even if he came into the Australian side, he would make an impact. So it's not just about the England side. Victor Radley is an impact player in any squad he plays in. And I think that he will have a very positive impact on that squad and just give them that extra bit of square their shoulders back a bit, be like, you know what, fucking oath, we can take it to some of the bigger teams. You know, I understand England's a tier one nation, but they're, they're being written off. And, and I, to be fair, I've, I've been guilty. Of, I mean, I haven't written them off, but for me, they're probably like favorites-wise, they're probably maybe fourth or fifth. Um, but with Victor Radley coming to the side, sit back and think about it, I don't think they're as far away as I initially thought. What do you reckon, Guru? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, mate. And I, I sort of have written them off t- to some extent as well. Uh, you have a look like in, in the betting market, they're, they're at $13 to win this World Cup, which is, is pretty wild when you consider that, you know, Samoa's at $10. So there, there is, you know, quite a gap there considering they are hosting it in England. It, it's pretty crazy. But yeah, I agree with you, mate. Bringing Victor Radley in there, I just think he will lift the intensity to a brand new level and it might just be you know that that little something that they are going to miss they obviously got the advantage of you know the conditions they're going to be playing in obviously all the guys there have, have been playing there for the last few years over there in England so there's an advantage there um yeah I, I I think the betting market has got them about right though I agree with you I'd probably have them fifth or sixth around that mark yeah it's it's really interesting because then you look at their side they've got Georgie Williams Johnny Bateman you know they're not I think I think I am suffering from a bit of not watching Super League bias. I think if I watched Super League, maybe I'd be a little bit higher on them. Um, but this is what I love about this game. It's really gonna set the tone. I know that you know it's a, such a cliche, but this is gonna set the tone because one of these teams is almost a one in three chance of being in a grand final of the World Cup because they're all on it's England, Samoa, and Tonga on one side, Australia and New Zealand on the other. I, like no apologies to anyone else who's on the England Samoa Tonga side, but I just can't see another team breaking through and getting to the final. If they do, I would love that. How exciting! Like that'd be awesome. But this will set the tone because if England and Samoa come out and have a red hot game and it's a high completion rate, you know, sixteen twelve high quality footy, it sends a message to the rest of the World Cup that it is no longer just about Australia and everyone else is trying to catch up. There are other teams that are sending messages and making statements like Tonga did when they came through and did what they did. Yeah, for sure. And just in the, in this English side too, when you are 
um, watching them. Just keep an eye on. There's a kid there named Kai Pierce Paul who we've spoken about. Can play sort of back row or centre. There's a rumour around that he's going to sign with Newcastle in a few years' time. Uh, keep an eye on him. He's going to be a really exciting talent to watch in this side. Uh, now Australia versus Fiji. Uh, look, unfortunately, anything less than a convincing win for Australia is a very a big disappointment. Now Fiji. You know, each time I watch them play, I'm so impressed just with their – they've actually been – where some Samoa has been a bit underwhelming for me. I think Fiji has been like almost quietly making progress. Now, are they up to the level of Australia yet? No. But I do think they've made quite a bit of progress over the last few years. I really do think they've been kind of like the silent, just taking a little step here and there. I think if you go back and you look at some of their results, they might have even beaten Samoa. Um at one stage, like over the last few years. Could you check that for me, yeah. uh, Matty? Yeah, as you said, I think anything but a huge victory for Australia w- would be disappointing for them. But um, this this Fiji side, they have got some, some some really quality players in there. And as you said off the top, don't read into their big loss the other day. They have they have a lot of guys that need to go back into this side. So they'll be completely different. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, Taruva from the Penrith Panthers go around again. You have to assume he'll be the fullback. Um, no, no, I don't think they're, they're going to beat the Kangaroos, but um, I think they can put up a really good fight here and be one of the more entertaining teams in this competition once you get past this week. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, that, sorry, uh, they beat Yeah, they beat Samoa. This is back in um, 19 when they're all playing. They beat Samoa, they beat PNG, they beat Lebanon, so. And that's, and that's what I mean in regards to the, just that silent progression. I don't think a, and that's where I feel Samoa has been quite disappointing. Now, look, Samoa's roster wasn't like it is now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Fiji, I think this is a real, I actually think this is a good game to, for Fiji to open with because it, it'll, it'll set the bar really high for them of like, oh, this is where we need to be at for the rest of the tournament. Whereas sometimes if you open against a soft side, it, it catches you off guard when you actually do play the top tier sides. Whereas for them, they open up against Australia. Look, they'll most likely lose, but they'll come out of that game. And so the next game when they play, you know, I'm not sure who's in there. Actually, I'll have a look. The next game when they play Italy or Scotland, they'll be like, they won't say this is a breeze, but they'll almost be, the standard is is so much lower. So it'll be a, a good kickstart for them, even if they do happen to lose. Uh, now, next game, Scotland versus Italy. Look, if I'm being honest, I don't, most of these games, like Scotland, Italy, Jamaica, Ireland, France, Greece, I don't really know much about them. So I honestly couldn't tell you uh, one way or the other how they're going to go. Um, We'll speak about New Zealand versus Lebanon, but before we get there, what do you think? Is there anything you know about Scotland, Italy, or Jamaica, Ireland? Uh, no, mate. To be perfectly honest with you, not a heap. Uh, I've had a look at those squads. There aren't a heap of guys uh, that jump out to me realistically, but they are always good to watch in these competitions because there is always one or two players that jump out of these sides that you've never heard of before that hopefully can you know earn themselves an opportunity to have a crack at the NRL or in New South Wales Cup or Queensland Cup. But uh, as we head into it, mate, no, there's no real, real names or anything that stand out for me in those sides. Sweet. All right, let's get to New Zealand versus Lebanon. Uh, this is just a standard-setting game. New Zealand should win and win really, really well. Um, again, they need to send a message, especially to Australia, I think. Obviously, being on the same side of the uh, the competition, I think New Zealand should just be building towards Australia going, that's the game. This is, you know, everything else, we need to set standards, get the job done. But the semi-final is our grand final. 
Uh, it really is. Because if they beat Australia, the confidence playing Samoa, Tonga or England will be absolutely massive. Thoughts on the New Zealand-Lebanon game? Yeah, obviously a uh, bit more of a statement game, as you said, for New Zealand. I would expect them to go just about full strength. They played their trial the other day. Um, Lulawai started at seven. Joey Manu wasn't in the team. So I, I think they'll start to sort of build uh, their full strength side. I think the one thing we've learned about Kiwi teams over the last few years or over the last probably 20 years realistically is that you get them in these one-off games and they've got a heap of really talented guys, but it takes them five or six weeks until they really find their groove and then they can really challenge. You have a look at the vast majority of the upsets that they've pulled over the last years in big competitions there. They're four nations, they're World Cups when they've had five or six weeks. And you look at the start of those competitions, they're not overly impressive, but they just work their way into it. So I think the Kiwis, they'll they'll, they'll go close to picking um, a full-strength side here. And I, I think it's a really good game to start with to be able to build off the back of it. I don't think the, the Lebanon side... Like I think we, we're constantly talking about, you know, your Fiji, your Samoas, um, Tonga, these sort of sides, and putting them probably on a, a pedestal a little bit higher than uh, Lebanon. I think Lebanon will surprise a few people, and I, I think they'll compete in games. I'm not sure how many they'll win. I'm not saying they'll beat New Zealand, but I think they'll be a little bit more competitive than what people are uh, giving them credit for. Well, they did a, a while ago, actually, didn't they? Uh, was it maybe even the last World Cup where they, they took a couple teams to a – Quite a tight score. Yep. Mitchell Moses, Freddie Fittler coached them. Yep. Um, yes, yeah, so you're right. Like I think that they might be the the fairy tale one. Um, if there is going to be a fairy tale side, uh, for example, Fiji, I do expect them to be quite competitive outside of the top top sides. Whereas Lebanon, people, you know, it's not a huge footy nation, but they've got some good players from some really good players. Now, just quickly before we go. Guru, who is going to be your player of the tournament? Please don't say who I think mine is going to be. Player of the tournament. Uh, I do think that the Kangaroos, I think they will get the job done. Uh, mate, I think it's been a little while since uh, James Tedesco has won a, a big gong. So I'm going to take uh, Teddy to be the player of the World Cup. Now, I'm going to go... Uh, look, this is a tough one because like, it's obviously the, basically the team that wins it usually gets the player of the tournament. But I'm going to go more along the lines who I think has been the best player in the games I've played. And so you can change your answer if you want. I think Joey Manu. I think he's in for an absolutely massive tournament. Yeah, and, and when you put that category on it, it's hard to disagree. I actually, mate, I, I came across a highlights package for, for the, the, the Roosters put out of Joey Manu last night. And normally, you know, those things, they go for three or four minutes. You might watch the first 90 seconds. Mate, I watched it twice. <laughs> it was yeah. unbelievable. He is just a freak. And to see him, this has always been my question mark. We always look at the stats of Joey Marnie when he plays fullback, and they're incredible. But they're one-off games. I want to see him play five games in a row at fullback and really see what he can do over a long stretch. With Dylan Brown, Hughes, oh. and Cheese at nine? Come on. Scary. I, I just... Oh, man. if he, he uh, He's going to come out of this tournament, and there's going to be so many clubs offering a million bucks. It's crazy. Like he, he is the one player that doesn't get spoken about enough in the million-dollar discussion. He's absolutely a million-dollar player to me. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I just can't wait to see him, him play fullback f- for an extended period. And it will be great to see him go head-to-head. You know, you, you, we speak about, you know, all this chat last few weeks about the Roosters, who's the next fullback after Teddy? Do they need to move Teddy on? All that sort of bullshit that, that everyone rode home. You've got three Roosters players that are going to be playing fullbacks for three of the big nations in this World Cup. That's unbelievable. That's fucking, yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, that is us done and dusted. Um, we should be back to normal times. Actually, sorry. So next week, guys, 
Uh, the podcast probably won't drop until maybe seven or eight uh, on a Monday night for you guys. Um, nah, nah, nah. Then- I, I think because it's going to take a bit longer to edit. I reckon we, we drop on Tuesdays. So you reckon drop on Tuesdays? Yeah, oh, and also because the World Cup goes, doesn't it, on yeah, Monday? Yeah, so we'll okay, drop on guys. Tuesdays, yeah. Yep, so guys, we will um, we'll be dropping on a Tuesday at 3 p.m. going forward for the next few weeks. Um, that's the only time we can fit everything in because obviously the time difference meets like, I think it's like 10 hours time difference, so it's like the worst timing difference ever. But yeah, so Tuesday, 3 p.m. going forward. If we are a little bit late on different podcasts, don't stress. We'll continue to try to put out the podcast. And also, good announcement, guys. The interviews with the players are back. They are back. Um, so wait for them to drop. And make sure to grab a shirt from Bloke Nation. Bloke.shop, www.bloke.shop. You grab a Bloke Nation shirt, rep your country. As we read them out earlier, we've got so, uh, 30 different nations that um, the pre-sale goes live, 6 p.m. Uh, has gone live already, sorry, 6 p.m. on Monday. So it's available right now. The pre-sale is live right now as we speak. You got anything going on, Guru? No, not too much, mate. Just came for the World Cup. Uh, Rugby League Guru podcast if you're looking for more content during the week. Mate, how good. All right, that is us done and dusted. And as usual, I'll go and fuck myself in Europe.